Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I am your host, Coach John Spurlock. We have a great episode for you today. On the show is Ryan DeBrent, Brennan McDonald, and Stephen Wood. Their conversation that they have about in-season programming is phenomenal. I am not in on this conversation, but at the end of the episode, I took a ton of notes while listening to it, and I'm going to give you a quick recap of my main takeaways. We hope you enjoy the conversation. And we're live. She's recording. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, in-season programming. Um, and that can be a combination of, you know, do, uh, do all of us have, you know, just lifting? Do we have lifting, speed, agility, and conditioning? Um, how many days a week are we going? There's so many ways that we can go with this, you know, and, and our staff, uh, I feel like we're, we're different in certain areas. Um, you know, you have, you know, for myself, like I got baseball, softball um, that don't see a lot of conditioning or speed and agility throughout the season. But then you have somebody like, you know, BMAC that's got soccer's where she's going to have a little bit more speed and agility conditioning. So I'm going to start with uh, BMAC just on like how many days that you go um, throughout the in-season programming. So for soccer is a little bit different than swim. Soccer is I'll usually only see them once a week for a lift. And then depending on the team, maybe two to three times a week for speed and agility or conditioning work. Um, soccer's are a little bit different in how they operate. So women's soccer, I'm quite involved with their load management, kind of planning the, the parameters of their practice, which that enables me to fit in conditioning kind of in small microdosing opportunities throughout the week. So knowing what the theme is for the practice that day, then I'll top off their conditioning, whatever we didn't get in practice that they need. Um, speed agilities for both soccer's, I just keep in their warm up. So I try to get little bits of what we need, what's most important as I warm them up before they go into practice, trying to prime them for that session. Um, for the men, we don't do as much conditioning as often. The coaches have a little bit more um, say in what they do for practice. And so if anything, it's uh, just running the guys that didn't get into the game where we're trying to top up that distance. So that's usually once a week. Lee for swim they're in season lifting with me and they're three times a week that's a good point that you brought up BMAC um everybody's asked me like you know all the training that you do in the off season like with softball or baseball specifically softball because they do so much speed and agility work where are you getting your speed and agility and conditioning work throughout the season where we don't get that day to do that and for me, it's like, well, let's let's add a little bit of speed technique work into our warmups. And I think that you can get a lot out of that. You know, if you even if you add five minutes a day and they're doing a warm-up, you know, five minutes a day, you're adding, you know, almost 25 to 30 minutes extra a week um, for your team, your team getting that speed and technique in. Um, and then also like having a flush workout almost like for my sports, it's like, okay, that's something that I've talked with Coach Lawson about is adding in. Um, almost like a, a 15 to 20 minute flush workout. Like if we're only training once a week with softball, you know, where are we getting that other, that other work in when we're on the road, since I'm not traveling with them. Um, so it's a really good point that you brought up with the, uh, you know, adding stuff to the warm up. Would you have anything to add? Um, not in terms of like those types of things. My teams are very, very different being is that I don't do really much conditioning work. I do a little bit with rifle, um, but really, uh, I'm just in the weight room with track and field all year. So really, the biggest thing is for me is that I'm lucky because our 
Matt or we're always competing on a weekend, a Friday or a Saturday. So I try to like shorten up my cycles into thinking about the week. So like I try to load them up on Monday with the things that will cause the most like damage and need the most recovery from. And so I think of like my main primary strength movement there. Um, and then, you know, like my heavy accessory work, my single leg work and my RDLs and things like that go on Monday. Um, and we try to, in, even though we're in season, we're trying to build up that strength until about a month before SECs. And then we start going into more of like a power, more power emphasis where we're worried about how fast the bar is moving rather than the amount of weight that's on it. Um, and then same thing with our Olympic lifts. We're um, going to keep lit, Olympic lifting, trying to build up all the way through till about four weeks uh, before. Um, and we'll do that lift on Wednesday, about three to two to three days before. So, um, you know, that the Olympic work, you may get a little bit of neurological fatigue, but you're not going to a maximum. So you have a lot quicker of a recovery time versus like if you're going to hit like maybe like a three by three at 80 or 80 plus, you know, we're on a squat where that's going to have a ton of muscular and neurological fatigue. Whereas it's that high maximum, low volume, high intensity output of the Olympic lifts during the middle of the week really help. Um, to keep them moving and uh, make them feel a little bit fresher um, over the weekend. And then again, well, about a month off, we, we change up a little bit and we go to partial movements. So we go for blocks and just work on increasing that power output. So they got less time to move that bar to, this, to their shoulders or to overhead with their Olympics. So that's kind of how we take our in-season stuff and, and tailor it to uh, competition. Um. Just going off of my experience with in-season programming, uh, when we get back, like for baseball, softball, um, you know, we have like our preseason, which is like the month of January into that first week of like February, uh, where we're going, you know, three days a week uh, with baseball, two days a week with softball. So we're getting a little bit more training in uh, during that time. But once that first week of like February hits, we go to one day a week with softball, um, due to their travel schedule, You're, they're usually down south or out west where they're traveling for a full month. Um, and that's where we're getting that one day of, you know, lifting in where I'm combining, you know, their, their Olympic lift, their lower body push, their upper body push with some accessory work. Um, and then, you know, from there, once they get back and we get a normal schedule, we may get two lifts in. And if we don't, that's because we have midweeks, you know, if we have Tuesday, Wednesday, midweeks, it's like, well, we don't want to overload them by, you know, using one of their off days and making that an optional lift, you know, where it's like Coach Lawson's big on, hey, let's make sure that they get plenty of recovery throughout the entire week. So like what I talked about earlier with like the flush workout, whenever they're on the road and they have multiple midweeks, um, that's where something, you know, uh, that we've implemented that into the program. Uh, baseball, they stay pretty steady across the board. Um, two days a week with our uh, positional players. The only that, way that we can make that work is like if they're, they have an optional lift on Monday um, and then do a normal lift on Thursday, just because they're usually playing Tuesday, Wednesday, midweeks. Um, so we kind of have to have, we have to work around that. Uh, pitchers, they'll stay in a seven day rotation where, you know, they do have three days of lifting um, an hour, like 45 to an hour with their med wall routine. And then, uh, two hour time slots for their other two lifts. So going off of that, um, how do you guys, let's just start with BMAC on this. Like, how do you 
change from you know preseason to non-conference to um, conference to like SEC conference schedule to the NCAA tournament? Like, how do you differentiate your programming throughout that time? Um, for swim, I'd say it's most evident. Swim, I have them do blocks, so they'll go through different phases. And I really talk with the coaches about just picking one meet to peak for, depending on the year and where we are in our standings. That might be SECs, that might be NCAAs. But with that, like we're training hard. Um, I mean, swim is a, kind of a year-round season, but for the most part, we're training really, really hard until maybe about a month and a half to two months before that big meet that we're trying to peak for. And then we start to transmutate and realize um, what we've been working on. So it's a lot more volume and intensity all the way leading up to that, you know, probably say we'll, two, we'll say two months out for that big meet. And then we switched primarily to power training and then over speed right before the meet because um, they're big on giving rest and kind of backing off of training as we get into it. So it matches up nicely with them. The soccer's um, preseason, I'm still training kind of hard. So that's something I learned as a GA early on is that I had backed off way too soon when I had tennis originally. And as soon as we came back and we were technically in preseason and season, I just backed off the volume big time. And we definitely saw D training by the end of the season. Um, so I learned a lot from that. And now I push harder um, and try to get them up to the point that they left off because usually we're coming off from a break. So maybe it's summer break for soccer's. Right now it's the spring because we have a spring season. But um, they come back and I'll push them for that first month. And we kind of have a good idea of games. I'll sit down with the coaches and find which games we can push through, which games we don't need to be like peaked for. Um, so at that point, we're training hard for probably the first month and a half or so. And once we get into conference play, um, pretty low volume, I keep the intensity high. So we're staying around anywhere from 70 to 85%. And then we'll likely just hit some singles. Um, I keep the program very basic throughout that part, because especially with soccer's, they get a lot of load and they get very, very sore after the games, um, just because of a high increase in distance and it's a high contact game. So they get pretty beat up. So, you know, progressions in volume and intensity, it doesn't change a lot. Same with movement selection. It all stays pretty basic because essentially the way I look at INSA's program is it, it's stress. So, you know, you need to apply a certain amount of stress to maintain what you've built up in those first couple of months and in your off season, but you don't want to add too many new stressors that are going to cause the soreness or the fatigue. So once we build up after that first month or so, you know, we're, we're working anywhere from triples to singles. And like I said, from that 70 to 85% range, um, and then I start to back off as we get closer to conference tournament um, and then NCAA tournament play where we're doing a little bit more overspeed. So then I back off um, much lower than 70%. We're usually just we're doing overspeed jumps with the bands. We're doing um, a lot of potentiating work where it's more power based and we're focusing purely on speed. Um, off of that, I mean, are you putting any like ready readiness like assessments or fitness tests in there? Um, like how often are you doing that, um, throughout the entire in-season program? I don't do a ton of readiness for swim. Both soccer's do a daily wellness questionnaire. And then the men also do RPE. Um, it's helpful for men because we're quite bought into it and we have a, a routine down with that. Um, I kind of get an extra scoop with that, knowing all of their GPS data and understanding, you know, the total external load that we have on them and pairing it with the internal load of the wellness. But um, the men are not doing any testing outside of that. We'll speed test um, pre and post every semester. And then we'll do the conditioning test in the beginning of the semester for the men. They don't usually do it again. The women do the 3015. So they'll do that in the beginning of the semester. They used to do a couple throughout the season to make sure we were maintaining fitness. 
Um, that's kind of fallen away this year just with COVID and how sporadic everything's been. But typically they'll do at least one five minute run or a 30-15 mid-season to make sure we're maintaining what we've built up. Um, and then they do a post-season one as we go into off-season training for that. In the weight room, I don't do much readiness testing with anyone. Um, that's something I, I hope to add in the future, but I've not done yet. Yeah, and that's personally for me, I haven't done a lot of that either. Um, I know some people have done like, you know, vertical jump and stuff like that, but, you know, I haven't implemented that in just because we've got so much more on our plate when it comes to getting the things in that we want to fit in into our programs, you know, on a weekly basis. That's true. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, we're making those judgment calls. It's just like a lot of times it's just subjective, right? Um, those are conversations with athletes that we're having to make adjustments. You know, our training, I, I would say pretty standard across the board with our full-time staff. We have a plan, but when we're in season, if, if we have to kind of be fluid and modulate off of that plan based on maybe an individual athlete that may have gotten more minutes or more, more, you know, when I think about my multi-event athletes, right, they do six to, they do five to 10 events in a weekend. So, you know, we're, we're making adjustments on the fly there. Um, you know, we may not be doing some actual testing, like looking at a vertical jump or anything like that, but we are making those modifications based on feedback we're getting from the athletes, feedback we're getting from their coaches and staff, the athletic trainers, you know, we are making adjustments. It's just maybe not reflected by some sort of assessment. Yeah. And I mean, going off of that too, like with my own personal programs, um, you know, going back to, let's just say, for instance, let's start with baseball, like they come back or softball, they come back in January. Um, softball does their conditioning test. Usually during this COVID year, we didn't do it just because of the acclimation period. Um, but again, when they do come back, there's about that week off where they acclimate back. And then we get into our testing after that um, for their, their conditioning tests. We'll do their vertical jump, broad jump, all those tests prior where we're at, we're about three weeks out from the season. Um, baseball, they're not doing as much like as softball does. It's more of like, Hey, did we get our lifts in over winter break? Um, so then once we get to, you know, that, that volume for like their preseason for me is a little bit heavier just because I'm trying to get as much out of that training as I can for those four weeks. Um, you know, that first week, again, the acclimation period, but then three weeks you can train pretty hard because I have that time. Um, but once I get to say, you know, non-conference with softball or baseball, um, our non-conference schedule is usually really, really tough as hard as our SEC schedule. So I don't change hardly anything when it comes to your non-conference or your conference or your SEC, you know, tournament stuff at all. Like I'm staying, you know, legitimate across the board with my percentages and, and my prioritizations where I'm staying like a, um, a 55 to 80 above 55, a below 55. And that's kind of how I simulate my programming. You know, like um, if I want to do a ramp up, like if I do a, a 55 to 80, I'm keeping, you know, that volume sets and reps kind of like, you know, if we're talking about squat or bench, you know, that stuff staying, you know, we may go five, six sets, but no higher than, you know, three to five reps during that period of time for that first month that we're in. Um, when we get to like the above 80, I'm usually hitting just singles, um, during that time. Um, and then like on our below 55, that's kind of where I've found out that our student athletes have gotten a little bit more sore just because we're moving the bar so fast. Um, so I've kind of used that as almost like, 
you know, not a peaking, but like understanding that like, Hey, if our competition is a little, little less, I'm going to go that below 55 because I know they're going to be a little bit sore because we're trying to move fast that week. Um, and, and would you probably go through that same thing where you're, you have lower percentages where you have more dynamic weeks that you're finding out that there's a little bit more soreness. Um, yeah, they definitely, and I, I've definitely seen that. And, you know, I, one thing I just try to do is explain to the athletes what that is. Cause I would say it's a little bit different than like pure like muscle damage soreness, right? It's just like really high motor unit output, really high neurological activity, right? So you see a lot of like, like overall tightness, but you know, not too much soreness. So I try to teach them that I'd be like, Hey, you're going to maybe get a little bit tight, a little bit tense. Um, but that's okay. Right. We're trying to build, that's what we're working on is that elasticity and, you know, that ability to hold that force that and transfer that force efficiently. So um, it definitely does happen. It's definitely a different feeling, but, you know, I'll say one thing that I'm very lucky with is how consistent my training is in season. Right. So mm -hmm. I can do that and keep pushing that a little bit longer than maybe you would expect. Um, because I know that we've been doing these same movements, right. With the exception, maybe this year is a little different because we had that long, you know, December period where nobody could be here. Right. Normally the track and field is only gone for about a week. Right. So we can count that as almost like a deload week at the beginning of our preseason. And then we jump right back into it. So we're only missing really from September, beginning of September to June, we're really missing maybe two weeks of training consistently. My yeah. coaches have given me to that. So I can keep pushing them in those movements, maybe even on a meet week where, um, you know, they may get that little bit of soreness, but they're so used to exposing themselves to those lifts that it dissipates very quickly. Right. Um, and they have a little confidence and trust in that, that, Hey, we're going to hit these heavy cleans from the block on Wednesday. Right. Like when we kind of going into my spiel, my preseason is pretty much the same as my off season, trying to build up intensity, but just taking into account that we load that up on the front end of the week. Mm -hmm. um, and then really the biggest only change is that in the off season, my coaches, the emphasis in the off season is the weight room, right? So they will make adjustments to what they're doing in workouts on the track based on feedback from the weight room, right? Feedback from how they're feeling. Well, once we get in season, that switches, right? So they're being driven by what they're doing out on the track. And what I'm doing is meant to complement that, right? So if we're going to make adjustments in season, we're going to pull off, we're going to do it in the weight room. Um, that's really one of the biggest things. So I know that when coach, coach may call me on Tuesday night and be like, hey, big meet this weekend, everyone's a little stiff. Uh, what's the plan for tomorrow? And, you know, typically we're doing power work, you know, things that are pretty light and fast. I may lighten it up a little bit if he gives me that feedback, but it's designed to um, kind of play on what they're doing and get them ready for the uh, weekend. You know, uh, like I was saying about a month before conference is when I start to transition. And that's when we're getting pretty much out of what you would consider true off season work and then working into power production, right? So we're increasing that rate of force development by decreasing, you know, the range of motion of the lifts, right? So um, pulling off of blocks, you know, we're, you know, we'll go from a regular squat to a partial box squat, or we may do something like a speed squat to work on that speed, to drive the speed and power. Um, we've done it a bunch of different ways, but um, that's kind of where we start there. And then about 10 days out from conference. So that'll be next Monday, and Tuesday, I'll get my final last like difficult lifting before we start truly going into only speed work, right? So that Tuesday or Monday, we'll hit our heavy block clean from the Olympic and we'll go three or four by one at 80, right? We don't have a meet that week. So we'll go three or four by one. Now, if we've done it right, 
you know, we were starting to transmutate all that strength that we built, right? That, that slow force into fast force. So I'll give them gray sets next week. That, that's our next Tuesday, right? I'm going to give them gray sets. We're going to go three or four by one at 80. And we're just going to go off of how it looks and how it's moving, right? We did two by, we did two by one at 80 today or this week, the week before with no misses, right? So we did bump. We got to about 84, 85% with the heavy single. Next week, we'll go a little bit further and try to get maybe up to 90, maybe 92. Sometimes you have like younger athletes, they'll hit a PR that week, right? And that's a good sign to me that, hey, we're moving and we're moving in the right direction and the physiological changes that I want are happening. And then after that 10 day period, about 10 days out, everything is over speed, right? We're doing, we're doing repeat jump squats with as little weight as possible. We're doing band assisted jumps. Um, we're getting, take, starting to pull out all of our accessory work out. And we're just working on that over speed work. Those workouts are 20 to 25 minutes in length at most, right? And we'll do that same workout. We'll, you know, we, we just work on the lower body. We don't have an upper body really focus with most of the tracks. So the third, the Wednesday or the Thursday before the week of SECs. And then that Monday of the week of SECs, we'll do the exact same workout, right? We'll do jump squats. We'll do really fast hang snatches with a bunch of overspeed plyos, and then just literally just pull off all the volume and the accessories we can to lighten up the, the volume. Um, I mean, just going off of that wood and, you know, what I was talking about, like, having a wide range of percentages, everybody, you know, they're probably listening out there where they're, they're asking the question of like, well, you know, what's the range from 55 to 80? Like, how are you ranging that? Um, I do that just because of, you know, practices and loads at practice. You just don't understand like what, what week is going to bring, you know, if you're sitting there and you're like, gosh, dang, the guys look like they got smashed into the ground this week. I can make those minor changes. You know, when you're putting a four week template together, you know, yeah, you have your, your kind of your sets and reps and your percentages, everything's written down, but there's going to be changes that are made throughout an in-season program constantly, you know, each day, each week, each month. Um, just keeping that in mind, you know, for our coaching assistants that are listening as well. Um, do you guys have anything to add to that? I think it's important to distinguish to the differences. So like uh, swim and track looks a lot different than the soccer's and softball baseball. So we are able to train with the model, you know, mine's very similar to Woods to learn it from him, but like we are, we're supposed to push for a longer time with those sports because you have a single may potentially double peak that you're going for. And so you don't want them to be backed off too soon or they won't run or swim their fastest times. So those sports cater very differently to that type of model. So we both run the block type system. Um, whereas like so softball and baseball, it is, there's a lot more variability within their week. Um, you have, I mean, those days you have multi-day competitions that you're rolling with. You have, you know, a lot of travel and pushback travel and late nights and stuff. Like Wood said, track is a pretty, um, you know, systemic schedule that he has where he's got them for the same days on a week and meets are always the same day. Baseball, softball is not like that. Um, and same thing too, like you have much more competitions within soccer and um, softball, baseball than you do with swim or track there. You know, you're not going to have a meet every single weekend. You might have some, you know, at certain times of the year, but it's not as often as like, you know, soccer's are playing two games a week sometimes. That's a lot more taxing and I cannot do as much as I would with swim at that same amount of time because they just don't have the same competition load. Kind of going off of that, BMAC, I got kind of a question that maybe you might be the best one to answer that may be insightful to the coaching assistants. Um, 
like with soccer, I know it's a little different, but even when you're working with like the tennises and stuff, the teams that have the, like when you're in season, right, those multiple week, so may, like where you're not on that consistent schedule, right? You may have a match on Tuesday, you may have a match on Thursday one week, you may have a full weekend, right? Are you, what do you like now with your workouts and like how you select like the days, are you adjusting that based on the competition schedule where, hey, like week one, you know, they may be coming in Monday, Wednesday, whereas, hey, week three, they've got a match Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so I'll see them Thursday, Friday, right? Is that something that you do um, and how maybe talk, touch, touch on like how you think through that in terms of like competitions and then like travel and, and all that extra stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So women's soccer I'll start with because they're pretty easy. They play on the same days every week. They usually play Thursday, Sunday. Um, and so you get a consistent thing. I always know we will lift on Tuesdays. Um, men's soccer plays every single week is different. So we pretty much operate week by week. I have penciled in dates that we're going to go with, but then there are times. So like, if we look at this last week, men's soccer played on Wednesday, I think it was, um, they had a huge increase in their game because we did scrimmages. We ramped up their load, but like a game and an overtime game is a significant increase. So they've been sore for a couple of days. Um, I was supposed to go do some prehab stuff with them yesterday since we didn't, we had two games scheduled this week and we weren't able to get another lift in. So I was supposed to go do their Nordics and neck work in yesterday and they were still pretty sore from that game. So we ended up pushing it out and kind of rescheduling. Um, that's why theirs is a lot. Sometimes we lift on a Tuesday. Sometimes we lift on a Sunday. All of that being said, I pencil in all of those matches when I start my cycle and then just kind of have an idea of like, okay, this is a very quick turnaround. I'll use this as my deload week. It doesn't come, you know, it, it starts to lose that our perfect three weeks and then deload the fourth. That's no longer a thing. It's more just trying to find the perfect pockets um, of opportunity to push or to back off. With tennis, it was um, even more chaotic because they, they were even more all over the place and they had more matches, you know, because soccer, the most you can play is two in a week, but tennis, it had, they just had a lot more variability in their schedule. So in that case, I did a day of lifting and a day of speed and agility conditioning because, you know, they are playing a long time, but they still need to keep up their energy system development. So in the beginning, again, that looked a little bit harder of a push. They'd squat and bench on their same lift day. And then um, we do a little bit of speed agility work and conditioning in the beginning. And then as we get closer to that SEC play, all of a sudden I'd start to use that as like a pre-match more neural prime day for the um, speed and agility session and then lift backed off just like I do every other sport. That being said, you kind of just have to look at it week by week and see, you know, you try to be not the week before you try to plan it out a couple of weeks in advance, but as you see that those are rotating. So, you know, maybe normally tennis plays on Saturday, Friday and Sunday, you know, and you can, you can push Monday and Wednesday or something like that. And then all of a sudden you have a Wednesday match. You just kind of have to use that. And again, so maybe you're still lifting Monday, but then that's your deload um, or a little bit of an overspeed day. And then maybe you take the conditioning day into a recovery day. So maybe the day after the match, instead of pushing them hard and running, you can do like a metabolic conditioning sort of drill um, that gets blood flowing, gets them recovering before they have that next match. So there's no, you know, I think a lot of coaching assistants and, and young interns go into this and they're like, man, what's the recipe for in season? But it really kind of becomes an art where it's um, trying to read the situation as best as you can and then see how you can optimize that because it's every season's not even the same. It's a really good point. Yeah. Um, just going off of that, like I kind of want to get into like exercise selection and how you go about that. Um, I'll, I'll start with, you know, baseball, softball and kind of where I'm I go when it comes to in season, you know, with my day one and day two. Um, as a coach, I'm trying to make sure that we're meeting all areas of the body and we're moving in all planes. Um, so I'm looking at 
you know, for day one, this is something that I'm looking at when I'm putting my in-season programming together is, do I have a, a bilateral lower body push, you know, for example, like a front squat or back squat, uh, a bilateral upper, upper body vertical pull, you know, like a pull down, um, a unilateral lower body, like pull. So like hip dominant, which is like a, um, like a single leg RDL. Uh, a lower body um, pole knee dominant, that would be like a physio ball hamstring curl. Um, the next few I have is a unilateral upper body horizontal pole. Um, and that being like a bent over dumbbell row, um, a unilateral upper body horizontal push. Um, and that would be like your single arm, like dumbbell press. Um, and then your unilateral like lower body transverse plane. So like almost like a side lunge or like a three-way lunge uh, where you're kind of moving that foot in and out and then ending with like an anterior um, shoulder stabilization. So like almost like a bear crawl hold or like a bear crawl um, where you're in that, you know, that quadruped uh, position. Um, so that's kind of like my day one um, thought when it comes into my program for baseball, softball um baseball primarily just because we're getting a lot more we're, we're more regular with our lifts throughout an entire seven week process uh for day two um i have a bilateral lower body pull uh which that example is like almost like it is an rdl um a bilateral upper body push that would be like a a, a dumbbell bench uh with the pitchers or the positional players um a unilateral lower body push that would be like your um, dumbbell reverse lunge, um, bilateral upper body horizontal pull. Um, what I'm usually doing with that is like using the TRXs for that, like doing a row, um, a unilateral, uh, lateral lower body transverse plane. So that's a lot to throw out there, but that's like almost like you doing like a crossover step up, um, up on a bench or up on a, a box. Um, and then I'm looking at your posterior shoulder mobility. So I usually try to throw that in the, in my warmup, like for my shoulder prehab or an example of that would be like a scap pushup. Um, and then the last couple here is your lower body pull knee dominant, again, going to your posterior chain, um, working like maybe on a partner leg curl. Um, and then the last thing is your unilateral, uh, upper body pull, like a vertical pull. Um, and that would be like a single arm lat pull down. So you know, in there too, I'm always throwing in the forearms because grip strength is so important in the sport of baseball. And then, you know, I always have a feel good session where like they have their biceps and triceps in there as well. Um, so it's not so scientific. Hey, D, this is all we do. Like I want them to have a little bit of time where they have five minutes to, you know, just get a good pump in at the end of the session. So when it comes to, you know, my in-season programming, those are pretty much the breakdown of my um, two days. Um, so I'm going to move on to you, BMAC, just on kind of your thought process when it comes to your in-season programming and your exercise selection. Um, so with the soccer, like I said, you're battling a lot of load and you're battling a lot of soreness. So I keep my in-season very, very basic. Um, I use that first month, like I said, to, to ramp up everything and get them to the main movement patterns that I need. Um, and that with that being said, I get them one day a week. So typically I have a similar model to UD where I'm hitting, you know, multiple different types of pulls, multiple, you know, single leg, double leg, everything that I can with one day a week. And usually it's not even a full hour in there. I just have to pick and choose what's most important. The way that I view that is that I'm going to try to train against the sport. So what are the things that they absolutely need to hit um, to keep them resilient? Because soccer's have a high, super high amount of injury on the field. 
Um, so with them, the biggest thing I'm thinking of is the prehab things that they need, um, which is Nordics for them because they're sprinting sport. So we always, always, always have a Nordic variation in there. I will mix that up a little bit. Um, but I've found with my athletic trainers, a certain, you know, set and rep range that stays good for them and that they've asked me to keep in there. And so every single week we're hitting that. Um, and again, I'll deload it and ramp it up and stuff, but that stays in there constantly. And Same I would say that that works for every sport, you know? Mm -hmm. um, just to make that known to like everybody, like, you know, it's just not soccer's or, um, even swim, like swims doing it as well, I'm guessing. And, you know, with track and baseball, softball, tennis is all of it. Uh, that's a really good point that you brought up, like bringing up the Nordic curl or the fizzy ball leg curl, anything, but that, that's, that should be in everybody's program for in season. Yeah. If you have a sprinting sport, you, you need to do some sort of hamstring eccentric. Um, then I also do neck work for them too. That's helped a lot with the concussions that we have. So I'll throw in some neck work once a week. Um, and then especially for women's soccer, a lot of single leg stuff. So looking at them, you have to fight their, um, you know, ACL injuries, their especially Q angle for women's soccer. So we're doing a ton of single leg strength. Um, typically their lifts, they're going to come in, they're going to do an Olympic lift variation. Um, I hex bar both soccer's in season. I've just found that to be the best. It's purely, it's much more concentric loading than it is having the eccentric of the squat. So I can put as little load on them as I need while maintaining what I'm looking for. So we hex bar. Um, we'll usually do like a clean pull variation with that. We'll go into hex bar. And then after that, the accessories are only what they need. So, um, like I said, we've got our Nordics, we have our neck work. We'll do some sort of pull up or chin up variation. Um, and the single leg squat, especially for them stays in there year round. And then just some isometric core and we're out. Um, it don't vary it up a ton. So I don't with in season, I, I don't believe in varying it just for the sake of varying it. So I'll get that main movement pattern in there. And then we might be doing a single leg squat on a box for, you know, the whole in the whole in season period. Sometimes I might alter how they're going or the height of the box or, you know, in what manner they're doing it, but they're doing a single leg squat to a box or off a box for the entire in season period. I'm not going to add in a bunch of extra stuff or, or change up where I'm loading that a ton because that's going to increase that soreness. And then my coaches aren't going to be happy and they're going to struggle on the field. So, you know, in season, once you get that foundation set up, you're varying a little bit, you know, it's not going to be the same program for a certain amount of weeks, but it's, you're trying to add as little extra stress, like I said, as you can. And you have some variation in there, um, mm -hmm. but not a lot of variation. That's a really good point that you brought up BMAC. Uh, what, you know, this is similar kind of what to I do, you know, I do is like, you may have your four week template and then you get your next four week template I usually, you know, am deloading with my accessory work just because if I am changing those, um, those accessory, you know, movements or lifts, you know, I want to make sure that that's two sets and three sets. So they're not able to, you know, be sore for their competition for that week. So that's something to keep in mind too, is like when you are transitioning to a new template is making sure that they, the load is lowered, you know, your accessory work is lowered um, and your volume is down just because, of that soreness that they can develop, you know, from new movements. Right. So it's and a good same, point that you brought up. The same thing goes for speed agility and conditioning. So mm -hmm. similarly, how I always keep in a, some sort of eccentric for the hamstrings in season, if I can only pick one run that I'm going to do with them throughout the season, I'm going to try to get a straight ahead distance provided that we're not, you know, getting that in practices or games. So high speed distance is huge for soccer's. Um, but even then any other sport you have that's conditioning, if you only get one run, I'm going to try to combine something that does, energy system development and gets a little bit of stress on the hamstrings. Cause when you don't stress the hamstrings often enough, you're not going to be resilient when they do need to sprint in their sport. Um, so same thing with speed and agility and conditioning. I'm looking at that, you know, 
are they cutting a ton in their sport? And I don't want to lead to overuse. So maybe I'm minimizing the change of directions that I've had, but we're working pure speed. Um, you know, with tennis, that was definitely the case. They are constantly cutting and doing shuttles and practice and everything like that. So with me, it's like, how can I get their reaction up? How can I get their speed up? How can I do things that aren't going to add to the further joint load that they get for this, you know, however many months season, same thing with soccer. It's more, let's try to target the nervous system within the speed and agility, hit a little bit of form, but then we're targeting the nervous system primarily, um, as we're going through these drills so that I'm not, like I said, I'm trying to train against the sport. I'm, I'm trying to help keep them resilient against the constant overuse that they get in day-to-day -day practices. Wood, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, track a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, track's an extreme, uh, I would always think of track as maybe an extreme example, just because of how things are done. And I'll just going to piggyback off of everything you guys just said, but I would say even when it comes to exercise selection, like, or variance, like even through from off season to in season, I very, very small amount of my primary exercises, right? So like throughout the year, we're always going to be squatting, we're always going to be in a squat pattern, right? And it's all thinking about exercises, but also thinking about movement patterns, right? So my movement patterns, they don't tend to adjust a ton, right? And what I'm doing, because in the off season, we still got to do things to prevent injuries, right? We may just like, we may do it a little bit differently, right? Talking about what you kind of just said, varying the intensity, varying the load, varying the tempo, right? Varying from maybe going from a non-resisted to a dumbbell resistant or to a band resistant, right? The same movement can have a ton of variation in it at the times of the year that you do it. And I'll give the, I'll give a couple of examples. We're doing RDLs throughout the year, the whole time, right? So in the fall, we're doing really, really slow tempo, right? Five, six, seven seconds, right? Uh, really slow RDLs. Once we get back into our preseason, January, we come back, we start loading up, but we're going like maybe three to four second tempos. Um, and then now that we're in our, like kind of our transition phase, we've gone to like what, what I call like a drop RDL or this idea that it's almost like you want to open your hands, go down and catch it stiff, right? Adding speed, right? We're adding speed um, to those movements, right? And then um, we'll just end with like some really fast, like some faster hamstring work at the end with like, it's almost like, you know, 30% where it's like pull down, rip up, like drop it, catch it, and then pull it up fast. Right. So then we're adding speed to every, um, the, not just the eccentric, but the concentric as well. Um, going back to like hamstring work. Right. So one of our hamstring exercises we do is we get into like a long leg bridge, right. That's a really like long legged bridge with the ribs down and the hips extended off season. We're doing a lot of holds there. We'll do weighted, um, you know, we'll add some band resistance to it. You know, we'll do some marching, but once we get in season in the early off season, we're going to start there. Right. So we're going to start with that movement um, like we did in the off season. And then when we transition about four weeks out, you know, we start to change it to more of a single leg. So we're doing like a March, a slower March, but we're adding intensity because they're having to hold more force on single leg, right. How they run. And then about, two weeks before, you know, that's going to start next week. We're going to do our really, really high speed hamstring stuff. So we go to a bridge, um, like a long leg bridge, um, with our feet on a, on a band, right. We set it up on the rack so that they're elevated on a band and we'll have them kick as fast as they can while holding that extended position at the hip. Right. And just kicking as fast as they can. So that's like one way that that's the, really the same movement pattern, but a slightly different exercise in how we progress it. Right. And I take it to the extreme, 
and we're taking our off-season movements and we're just slightly changing them for our preseason and our in-season um, with typically changing the intensity and the speed of the movement. You know, we're always doing some sort of clean every week. How we do it is just going to look different. It depends on the time of the year. Same with our squad. We may be going heavy off-season, full range of motion. In-season, we're going heavy on the box. Two and a half weeks before, we're just doing speed work, jump squats, right, in that same movement, but just different speeds of it. That was a, that's a really good point, uh, Wood, and, and just thinking about the overall theme of all three of us talking is, you know, for young strength coaches out there, um, it was, is not reinventing the wheel when it comes to in-season programming. Um, when, when I talk with young strength coaches about that, it, it's, it's, they see so much stuff on Instagram and, and Twitter these days that they feel like when they see it at that moment, they feel like they need to program that in for the next month. Um, where it's like, does that really follow the progression that you had? So I think uh, staying to the basics, staying to the nuts and bolts of strength conditioning when it comes to in-season and understanding that, hey, you need to hit all movement patterns to keep that student athlete as healthy as possible throughout the season. You know, at the end of the day, it usually does fall on the strength conditioning coaches, you know, when, and when somebody does get hurt. Um, the, the, the eyes are always looked upon us as like, well, what happened? What were you doing in training? Um, and you got to be able to cover your ass at the end of the day. Um, is there anything that you guys wanted to add before we get off here? Um, I just think having regular conversations. So before and after every semester, and then even during and throughout it, I get with my athletic trainer, especially for soccer, because we do have so many injuries and I'm like, Hey, what are you seeing? Is there anything you want added in? You know, what are the common things we're seeing right now? Knock on wood, we're in a decent spot, but you know, in the past, it's like, you know, we have a bunch of hip flexor tightness. So then my view on, especially in season training is if there's if I have a bunch of them going to the training room for the same thing, like that's on me. Um, and so that's my duty to then add that in. So, you know, if I have half my swim team going to the trainer for shoulder prehab, like, or, you know, and, and shoulder pain that I need to fix that because I can target that group, a much bigger group more easily than the athletic trainer can. So same thing, if you're seeing different things like that, you know, those are things that you can easily target to help the whole team when the whole group is having that big issue, but you have to have those regular conversations. Yeah, it's getting feedback's important. I mean, and that's where you make that you make those adjustments. I mean, so we're having a track right now. We're having some more than normal, like very like low intense hamstring issues, um, which is weird because we're doing more hamstring work now than we had in the past. Right. Well, we were talking with the trainers and I talked a little bit with Bree D from last year. I looked at my program and I realized, hey, we're not doing as much eccentric hip flexor work. Right. And it was like, oh, and I was like, are you guys doing any in, in the training room? And they're like, no, we're not. Okay, well, we'll add that in right there because we're almost trying to tri double, triple up on this hamstring work. It's like, why? what's going on? We're doing Nordics in rehab. We're doing slow, heavy eccentrics in here. We're doing our high-speed stuff as well. What's going on? Well, hey, we missed maybe a portion of the other side of the hip, right? So that's where like getting that feedback and always being fluid and ready to make an adjustment. We're going to add that in next week to the group. We're going to add an eccentric so as work with them next week. Now it's an off week. That's why we have waited to add it, but um, having those, getting that feedback and, and knowing, you know, what you, where exactly you're trying to go with it and getting that feedback from coaches and trainers is super important. Awesome. Uh, again, I appreciate you guys being on here um and giving you guys your feedback uh to all the viewers out there i appreciate you guys listening in and uh, if you have any comments or questions for us contact us at ukstrength at uky.edu go cats wow just what a great conversation by our strength coaches here at kentucky 
there was so much awesome information. And like I said, uh, during the intro, I'm going to give a quick recap of my main takeaways. First takeaway I wrote down is each one of our strength coaches, their thoughts with how and what they program for their teams during season was incredibly and extremely intentional. You heard Coach D be super specific and detailed with what he programmed each day for baseball, referring to day one versus day two and how those two lifts differed from each other. You heard uh, BMAC with men's soccer. Like she said, she's only gets one day a week with them. So she needs to be on point with the movements she chooses for that team. You heard her talk through the importance of fighting against the sport, meaning soccer players are susceptible to hamstring strains, knee injuries, concussions. So that is why she prioritizes things like Nordic hamstring curls, eccentric hamstring work, single leg squats, and network and neck work into her in-season program. You also heard, heard Coach Wood talk through what he does in the weight room to help our track athletes peak for certain needs. Next takeaway I wrote down is each sport is uniquely different and there isn't one magic formula or just one way to program for in-season program. You have to look at the demands of the sport. And when you're looking at a sport like uh, volleyball and tennis, both of those sports are non-contact sports. So you're not dealing with a lot of bumps and bruises like you will uh, with a contact sport, meaning soccer and basketball. And then I would hit on it is how important the communication needs to be between strength and conditioning and the sport coaches when you're working with sports and athletes on the swim team or our track team, because you want to make sure that that communication is as high as it can be. So you're on the same page with when and what meets those athletes need to peak for. Third takeaway. In regards to speed and agility, microdosing might be an appropriate strategy to address that training stimulus during season. D mentioned that do he does speed mechanics with softball as a part of their warm-up, and I really like that concept. Something I've done with my teams as well is done microdosing during a warm-up and even taking five to 15 minutes at the end of an in-season lift to work on change of direction mechanics or an agility drill or a reaction drill. So the sports that I work with, volleyball and basketball, they might get a 45 minute lift with me during season. And then we'll take that last quarter of the time I have, go out to the court and do some, some uh, agility drill, reaction drill or change of direction mechanics. One thing I wrote down that and it was more of a question is how do you know if microdosing is going to be enough or if you need to dedicate an entire session, like entire 30, 30 to 60 minute session to an area like speed and agility and even maybe even conditioning. And what I do with my teams is I look at their preseason testing data. So let me use volleyball as an example. During their preseason, early August, we do all of our testing during that time. So that's vertical jump. That is a conditioning test, um, you know, weight room testing as well. And also agility testing. We do a 5-10-5 agility test. After I do that test, if I'm looking at the data and comparing our team to previous teams that we've had in the past, 
and our numbers for agility are a lot slower than where we've had been in the past, I might need to dedicate a little bit more time and maybe even an entire session, one session per week to agility or change of direction or whatever uh, I feel that deficiency is. Now, if they're right on par or maybe they're just a little bit off, I think microdosing is a good strategy. My last main takeaway, takeaway number four, is stick to the nuts and bolts of your strength conditioning program during, in, during the in-season time. D used the phrase, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And BMAC followed that up with, you don't need to come up with fancy variations to be effective. I believe she used the example with soccer. Uh, a single leg squat is a movement that she said she uses throughout the entire season, the entire in-season program for our women's soccer team. And she doesn't switch that up very much. Now she will use variations. And I think what she said is, you know, single leg squat is the movement that she uses, but she might switch it between a freestanding single leg squat to a box single leg squat, or she might vary up the height of the box, but she doesn't make drastic changes. Like I said at the beginning, this was such a great conversation. And I've been in the strength and conditioning business for 15 years now. And I took so many nuggets away from the, their talk. But a quick recap of my takeaways. Number one, you got to be intentional with your programming. Number two, understand that each sport and team is unique and there's no one magic program that will work for all sports and all teams. Number three, microdosing might be an effective method when addressing speed and agility. And the last one, last but not least, is don't feel like you need to reinvent the wheel. Such a great conversation. I know I said that a thousand times, but I'm so proud of our three full-time strength coaches that made this podcast, that made it so interesting. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like always, if you have any feedback for us or any questions for us, reach out to us at our email address, ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks. Go Cats!